Hey, you're listening to Uninterrupted, the podcast where women get to decide what's best for their futures. I'm your host, the senior online editor of Women's Health, Caitlin Aber. Many women grow up knowing there's a good chance they'll have to wrestle with their genetics one day. Certain diseases and ailments just run in their family, whether it's alcoholism, Alzheimer's, or in Lindsay Avner's case, breast cancer. Most of the women in Lindsay's family have had breast or ovarian cancer at one point or another. Both her grandmother and great-grandmother had both died when Lindsay's mom was only 18. And then, when Lindsay herself was only 12, her mom got breast cancer too. Knowing that her chances of developing cancer were very high, in fact, tests confirmed that there was an 87% chance of Lindsay developing cancer in her lifetime, she decided to seek out a double mastectomy at the young age of 22. Now in her mid-30s, Lindsay has been leading her organization, Bright Pink, for close to a decade. Bright Pink aims to empower women to learn about their bodies and make decisions based on knowledge and purpose and not fear or necessity. I am delighted to welcome Lindsay Avner to Uninterrupted today. I am here with Lindsay Avner, the founder of Bright Pink. Hi, Lindsay. Hi, How are you today? You, thank you so much for having me. Thrilled to be here. Thank you so much for coming into New York City and talking with us on Uninterrupted. It's going to be a great conversation. <laughs> <laughs> well, I would love to start with just having you share your story and how you end up doing the great work that you're doing. Well, first of all, I would just say Women's Health has been such an amazing partner to, of ours and, and personally, both professionally. So it's, it's truly an honor to join in this conversation with so many influential women. Um, my personal story starts back before I was even born. So my grandmother and great-grandmother died from breast cancer six days apart. So wow. they were 39 and 58 respectively. I think one of the things that's so crazy to me is that neither one ever knew how sick the other one was and yet they were really close. And mm. it, it's because at that time, cancer was like the C word. It was so taboo, people didn't talk about it. Um, in addition to them, we know that eight other women in my, my family have died of breast or ovarian cancer. So rampant family history. When I was tw um, 12 years old, my mom was first diagnosed with breast cancer, 10 months later with ovarian cancer. Um, and I think what went through my mind at the time, which is so interesting, it puts you back in that state of being 12 years old was she's gonna die and then who's gonna get me pads and tampons mm, right like how yeah. does that how does that happen um with a young little girl but we were so fortunate she survived both of those diseases um as a 24 25 year 24 year breast 25 year ovarian cancer survivor so for me personally i always felt as though it was just a matter of time before cancer came to strike me um but i would talk about it in an abstract sense like Oh yeah, one day I'll get breast cancer like every other woman. Mm. Um, when I was 22, I just graduated from the University of Michigan, was about to start this dream job in Chicago and marketing at Unilever. Um, and I was struck with this opportunity though to not just um, wonder when will I get cancer, but to actually know what my risk was. And so um, I underwent genetic testing, found out that I carried the BRCA1 gene mutation. Um, and about a year later, made history as the youngest woman in the country ever to have a risk-reducing double mastectomy. And I say this, this is like eight, nine years before Angelina Jolie and, right. and the country became so accepting. At the time, there wasn't even a doctor in Chicago um, where I was living that would perform the surgery. I actually came to New York to Memorial Sloan Kettering. Um, so it was really um, through that whole experience of understanding my family's health history, understanding how that affected me, and then feeling as though I don't want to just sit and play defense. I don't want to just um, wait until I get cancer and then have chemo and all those other um, crazy things that come with a cancer diagnosis. 
um, I want to be proactive and mm-hmm. I want to play offense. And um, that insight, just that as a country, we're so inclined to just focus when there's a problem. Right. Instead of being really proactive when there's not a problem and just creating the solution we want, um, inspired me to start Bright Pink in 2007. That's great. I just want to like go back a little bit and talk about this double mastectomy because you mentioned that the doctor wouldn't perform it. What was the reasoning behind that? Well, one of the things that's so interesting, so when you carry this BRCA1 or 2, when the, with the gene mutations, um, one in particular, you have up to an 87% lifetime risk for developing breast cancer, up to a 54% risk for ovarian cancer. So that's where I, where all of a sudden um, the conversation felt way easier, the, the decision felt way easier for me to make because it wasn't a matter of if it felt like it was a matter of when. Um, At the time though, the doctors I was talking to were saying, you're so young. We've never heard of somebody who's 23 years old having this surgery. Um, I remember there was a physician who said, you know, I'm really concerned about you doing this before you get married. You really, really should wait till you get married before you remove your breasts. Um, another doctor said, you know, don't drink too much and run every day and come back and see me when you're 30, which is really concerning, actually, because my grandmother was diagnosed at 36. So right. technically 10 years younger is when we need to think about this. So. The doctors at Memorial Sloan Kettering were the first ones who were like, you're not crazy. Yes, you are young. Um, but if you could, if this is, if this is a decision that you're, you're um, sure you want to make, um, we think we can have a, a, a positive um, cosmetic outcome, which I think they did. I was able to save my nipples and have two scars on the outer quadrants of my breasts. Um, but I remember coming out of that surgery just feeling as though this enormous weight was lifted from my shoulders. Sure. Yeah. Just feeling as though all of a sudden, like that risk that was close to 90% is now like the average per- less than the average person, two or three percent. And it must have felt really empowering to take control of your future in that way. 100%. Instead of kind of like giving into this vanity that, you know, the doctors in other places were pushing on you. Totally. And one of the things actually that was really interesting to me in reframing the conversation and making it kind of swallow and go down a little bit smoother was um, just the idea of how many other women in this country have breast scars for mm-hmm. multiple reasons, right? Um, breast reductions, breast implants, breast all these different reasons. Right. People have scars all over their body. Like when I was able to not think about this as a mastectomy, which felt so scary, yeah, right. but orient to it instead as um, as something that was just a couple of scars to help save my life. It was really powerful. So tell me about Bright Pink and why you decided to start the organization. Obviously, it has a lot to do with your personal story, but you felt a need to give back to other women, especially young women. It's absolutely right. I remember when I was going through my experience, I kept thinking to myself, I just want to meet another 23-year-old who is going through the same stuff I'm going through, wondering what it's going to be like the first time my shirt comes off with a new guy I'm dating. Or (laughs) um, how do you go about sharing this news? Like, when do you bring this up or what do you not? Um, You know, when you wear a bathing suit and you can see a little bit of the scars, like, do you explain that? Do you just ignore it? What do you do? Um, So part of what I think is so powerful about Bright Pink and what we do that really no other organization in this country does is we focus on reaching young women in their 20s and their 30s and their early 40s. asking them some really important questions. So one of those being, what is your risk for developing breast and ovarian cancer? Helping them understand risk is not binary. It's not as though you're either at risk or you're not at risk. It actually exists on a spectrum and all women 
have some degree of risk. Um, based on knowing which risk level they fall into, are they average risk, are they increased risk, are they like me, this extremely high risk, um, then we can develop a plan to be proactive. And so um, for some women, it literally just means helping ensure that they're going for their annual well woman exam every single year, no excuses, even when they feel perfectly healthy, um, knowing what their breast tissue feels like. So knowing that their breast tissue goes all the way up to their collarbone or that their father's side of the family history is just as important as their mother's. For others, though, it means increased more um, more frequent screening, um, perhaps genetic testing and whatnot. So part of what I think is so amazing about Bright Pink, though, is we're reaching women where they are. So we're educating them at workplaces. We're educating them when they're shopping. So with our, our national partners at David's Bridal and Aerie and Paul Mitchell, um, we're having the opportunity to talk to them on consumer apps, period tracking apps that they're interacting with. So we do a lot with the Glow family, Eve and all of them. Um, and one of the things that we know is that when you can reach women with this message and frame it as one around health and not cancer, mm -hmm. they're a million times more receptive to hearing you. Um, and it has to be something that's taken out of the doctor's office. I mean, we spend one day a year in the doctor's office. Like right. there's 364 other days of the year when we really have to make sure that those lifestyle modifications are getting put in play. Absolutely. So your goal is to reach 52 million women? 52 million women. That's how many women in the United States there are between the ages of 18 and 45. And we feel as though, you know, all this research points to the fact that um, when a woman is in her 20s and her 30s, that's the time when she's setting the tone for how she's going to manage her lifestyle moving forward. So that's this per perfect moment to insert the conversation around prevention, around early detection, around being proactive, advocating for your health in that moment. And absolutely, and you're trying to take it also out of the space where it's just buying into a product, right? It's more about starting a conversation. You got it, and it doesn't have to be this huge leap. Sometimes people feel as though, oh my gosh, like I won't be quote unquote successful unless I overhaul my whole life. That's not true at all. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's literally could just be the difference between you actually for one month, you know, paying attention to the changes that happen in your breasts. Like that is success for bright pink. And right. so, um, yes, do we want to make sure that everybody is um, living as healthy as they possibly can, can and doing everything they can, of course. But we also know that there's a reality out there, right? So um, we as an organization will say, we want you to consider, you know, limiting alcohol intake to one drink per day. We're not saying, um, you know, only eat broccoli and never drink and sit in a mm -hmm. bubble. Like you have to be able to go out and live your life. But in doing so, how can you make some more positive choices than you're making currently? Absolutely. So something you said is that you are going to places where women are. And I wanted to talk to you about women who perhaps are less privileged. Um, how are you reaching women in communities where healthcare is harder to get or where education is less prevalent? It's a great question. It's one that um, I think there are so many people and organizations working to tackle this. And I always say, part of what I love so much about the way we've been trying to tackle it is that um, we're really honest at where we've succeeded and where we've not succeeded. Um, I think I always say to my team, I'm like, if this was so easy, someone else would have figured it out. So we're joining forces with many, many other organizations. So um, a pilot that is actually about to conclude pretty soon, that's been really successful. We've been targeting um, women and providers on the south side of Chicago. So we know that Chicago, the disparities between with breast cancer are out of this world. I mean, it's, it's crazy. I think an African-American woman um, is 116% more likely to die of breast cancer than a white woman, which is just so 
ridiculous. It's like, unacceptable. It's so unacceptable. Um, so how is Bright Pink approaching this? Well, we actually have a, um, a medical provider program where we go into OBGYN, internal medicine, family medicine, nurse practitioner programs, um, and we educate doctors and the next generation of doctors on how to better care for young women, how to forge these conversations. Um, and you would just say to yourself, a lot of people are like, why is Bright Pink educating doctors? And the truth is, though, there's too many times when women are walking in, the doctor says, oh, you're too young to get breast cancer. Or, mm. oh, um, you're not Jewish, so you don't have to worry about the BRCA gene. And that's just simply not true. There's a lot out there. So what we've been doing is taking that program into community health settings, um, working with nurses, physician assistants, midwives, um, OBGYNs, internists, family medicine doctors. Um, and these are people that are insanely busy and they're very, very under-resourced, and they're caring for women um, in just this, just droves of women, and they need more support. So what we've been doing is bringing our program where we're educating them and giving them making sure that there's a level playing field with with what they know. And then we're actually also giving them, it's about a 40-page book of where there's free and discounted mammography services, MRI services, genetic testing services in the community of Chicago. Mm -hmm. And one of the things that's been incredible is we just did one of these workshops a couple weeks ago, and one of the um, OBGYNs came up to us and said, I literally can feel the paradigm shifting in my head meaning you guys bright pink came in you gave me this education you also gave me where do i send my patients and what do i do about this i can feel the paradigm shifting so part of what we're excited about is taking all these great learnings from chicago and expanding that to a couple more communities in the united states where we know these disparities are and i think that takes a lot of governmental support as well are there any sort of public policy changes that you think are sort of like in your dream spectrum of like what could be done you know absolutely well one thing i would just say that i think we've come so so far is i think the affordable care act um i not to get super political has just been an amazing 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 thing for women i mean there's so many times when we would be doing our educational workshops our brighten up workshops in um in you know underserved areas and and a woman would come up and say that's all awesome information who's going to pay for this Mm -hmm. and now for us to be able to say like your well woman exam includes a doctor checking your breasts like if your doctor doesn't check your breasts you need to find a doctor that can Um, it includes you having a conversation about risk management so um i think we've come far i think one of the things that i would just love to see um is is there just be like way more acceptance around genetic testing and genetic um, screening because I think that um, we know that, for instance, 50% of women in this country who carry this BRCA gene mutation have no family history. So right. sometimes the insurance regulations are such that you have to have two first degree relatives before they'll cover it. And that's just that sometimes it's just not feasible. It comes from their father's side. There's not the family tree. So I think obviously making that in- ridiculously more acceptable. There's companies like Color Genomics, which is out there. They created um, some of the co-founders from Twitter. Created a um, $250 really medically sound genetic test, and literally, it's crazy. People are giving this genetic test to their mom for Mother's Day, yeah, as a present. So I think we're moving (laughs) in the right direction. I mean, (laughs) no, it's good though because it's it's seeing that information is power. I just think that you know what we need to start. Um, The other thing is is just making sure that we are um, we are not we're taking the thought of breast and ovarian health and bringing it to young women. Mm -hmm. Um, Sometimes all the regulations are like, oh, you start mammograms at 40. Others would argue 50. We definitely say 40. But one of the things that becomes a problem is if, if you're just like, if you're sending that message out, women are thinking to themselves, I don't need to do anything with my breast health till I'm 40, which is just not true. Yeah. 
Or you get complacent in other ways. Maybe you're with one partner for a long time, you know, and you're just like, I don't need to go to the doctor this year. Totally. Totally. And I think that's a that's a common thing that we're up against, which is how do you um, how do you take women where there's not a problem Mm -hmm. and like use that moment when they're healthy, when they're thriving as an impetus for change? Um, Because we know that if we can get them to change when they're healthy, it's going to have a way longer lasting impact. It's going to be way cheaper from a societal perspective. Um, And it's just going to be like a happier, healthier, long-term life. Absolutely. Overall. And I love the idea that it's empowering, that it's not just scary, that it's knowing, and that there's, you know, ways and people that can help you. I wanted to know, how have you changed since founding Bright Pink? My gosh, it's been, um, part of what I think is so interesting is um, just this, like, my husband laughs when I use the word journey, because he's like, what are you talking about? You went on a journey. It sounds like you have a backpack. He's like, you remove your breasts, like you start an organization. But I do feel like it actually has been a journey. You know, when I was, um, right before I had my surgery, I like had moved to Chicago and I um, felt as though, oh my gosh, I'm going to get cancer soon and I want to be married. I want to be a mom and jumped into a serious relationship with someone. And I was like, you know, he's nice enough and he's good enough and I got to hurry. I got to get married. I'm going to get cancer or whatnot. So I think in some ways, um, going through the decision to remove my breasts definitely took some pressure off. Um, I think I've thrown myself full in to bright pink. Um, And I remember I was in a relationship in my my mid-20s and you know, we were in the process of breaking up and it was really sad. And he goes, Lindsay, you're the most giving selfish person I've I've ever (laughs) met in my entire life. All you want to do is help people through bright pink. But I would imagine, you know, in my now super aware stage that that probably didn't feel so good to be um, the person in a relationship. So I think um, in order to get this organization off the ground, it does require 150% all in. Um, I have changed a lot though. I met my husband um, about three and a half years ago. So I met him actually six months after his late wife had passed away mm. from breast cancer. We started dating. Um, and one of the things that was so just impactful and powerful to me um, was getting a chance to meet my now stepdaughters that are are 15 and 12 and I also have a stepson who's who's 18 um and for in for for so long bright pink had been about me and options for people my age and whatnot and a couple of years ago it just took on this totally different meaning which is um the responsibility I feel for these two teenage girls um, and the fact that I don't have a lot of time, meaning I have a very clear vision for the world I want them to grow up in. And when they hit 22, I want them at their sorority getting a brighten up educational workshop. And when they go to their doctor, I want the doctor listening and um, being really proactive with them. Um, if they probably will go on or undergo genetic testing one day. Um, and I want I want that experience to be easy and not scary and not um, depressing. And more than anything, I just want them to know that no matter how it all turns out, they're going to be okay. And um, in yeah. order to do that, I think it's it's reignited this powerful passion in me about Bright Pink. It also has created more of an urgency. This isn't something I have 20 years to accomplish. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's been really exciting. And then obviously, um, I think this the next stage is, is thinking about... Um, about this little girl that I'm going to have the opportunity to bring into the world in a couple months. So yeah. I'm about 22 weeks pregnant. And the idea that... Um, making sure that that it's totally different from her, um, the experience that I went through, but also the experience my mother, my grandmother, my great-grandmother, all these generation of women before her went through as well. That's awesome. 
Um, so we ask every guest on the show to promote a woman, somebody that they admire, whether it's a writer or a comedian or a politician. Do you have a woman you'd like to promote today? Um, you know, I would just say I, I, and I hope this doesn't sound cliche, but she is she. I've, I am a big student of her books, which is um, Brene Brown's. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that you know that the, the concept of daring greatly is something that um, we all. It's so easy not to, I think, and it's so safe not to. And um, one of the things when I think about the the message that she talks about, even in her her latest book, where she talks about it's not about the falling down. We know everyone's going to fall down. It's about how do you pick yourself up and rising strong. Um, I just I absolutely relate to this concept that um, the more vulnerable we can be, the more um, open, the more um, we can go right to the point and get rid of the small talk, shallow conversation, right. um, the, the deeper the connection will be in and whatnot. I will say also, I always think whenever I think about Brene Brown, I think about one of my favorite quotes of all time, it's it's from a movie. Um, did you ever see We Bought a Zoo? Uh, no, Matt Damon? I didn't. Okay, <laughs> horrible name, like worst name for a movie ever. <laughs> amazing movie, amazing movie. So in the movie, there's a scene where Matt Damon is talking to his son, and he's the son's like, I want to ask this girl out. He's like, teenage son. Um, and he goes, well, well, you should do it. And he goes, I don't know if I can. I don't know. I don't know. And he goes, Sometimes all it takes is 20 seconds of crazy, insane courage for something mm-hmm. amazing to happen. Absolutely. And I always think about whether it's like through Daring Greatly or just thinking about when is a moment where I need to draw upon that 20 seconds of courage. Like the idea that it's out there for mm-hmm. us at all times is um, is just really, is really cool to know that at any yeah. moment, any of us can ac- access that. And I think that's something you've definitely done in your life. You've definitely been courageous. So I commend you on that. That's really kind of you. Um, where can people find you? You and, and more information about Bright Pink. So brightpink.org is going to be the central hub. I would also say um, I was talking a little bit about the importance of knowing your risk. Um, we have an incredible digital tool that actually just won a Webby Award last month for best user interface, which is really exciting. Um, assessyourrisk.org. Um, and one of the things I think is so cool about it, it's 19 questions. Um, it's combining health history with lifestyle factors. But at the end of it, it's going to give you a sense of where do you fall on that risk risk spectrum and then what can you do as a result so um brightpink.org assessyourist.org um obviously on facebook at bright pink on twitter and instagram at be bright pink b-e-b-r-i-g-h-t-p-i-n-k um and just i would encourage as many women out there to kind of join us and let us be your partner your pal in helping make these changes it's not easy but together i think it makes it a lot more um doable absolutely well thank you so much for coming on uninterrupted today thank you. We want to thank Lindsay for coming on Uninterrupted and sharing her story. It's something so many of us can relate to. To learn more about Lindsay and Bright Pink, head to brightpink.org. If you're loving Uninterrupted, please leave us a comment on the Uninterrupted Facebook page or on iTunes. While you're there, be sure to subscribe to the show so you don't miss any future episodes. You can also tweet at me directly using the hashtag WHUninterrupted. I'm EverydayCaitlin on Twitter. This episode of Uninterrupted was produced by me, Caitlin Abbott, and recorded at CBS Studios. Editorial support was provided by Lisa Chudnovsky. Our theme music is by Jen Miller. You can check her out at jenmillermusic.com. That's all we got for you today. We hope you tune in next week. And in the meantime, why not go get a mammogram and stay uninterrupted? <laughs>